This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and happy Mother's Day. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Zneimer. Today is Mother's Day, but it's bittersweet for those Zoomers who've lost their mothers. But you can find happiness on this day with a few simple strategies. And why is a good night's sleep elusive for many Zoomers? A Toronto research team is currently looking into the relationship between sleep and behavior at a state-of-the-art sleep lab at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. In health news, the World Health Organization this week is warning that saturated fats be limited to no more than 10% of your diet. Those are fats in butter, milk, eggs, meat, and chocolate. It's also recommending only 1% or less of calories should be from trans fats, found in baked and fried foods, processed foods, and cooking oils. The health agency has released its first draft of fat intake guidelines for both adults and children. 104-year-old David Goodall was in good spirits listening to Beethoven in the final hours before his doctor-assisted death this week. Australia's oldest scientist was forced to fly to Switzerland where more liberal-assisted dying laws allowed him to end his life legally, unlike his home Australia where it's forbidden. Though Goodall was not terminally ill, his eyesight and mobility deteriorated considerably in recent years and said that his life stopped being enjoyable five or ten years ago. One wants to be free to choose the death uh, when, when the death is uh, the appropriate uh, time. Goodall had been campaigning for years to make assisted dying legal in Australia, like it is in Canada, the Netherlands, Switzerland and parts of the U.S. Age is not slowing down Ruth Wolfish-Rotman, who turns 100 at the end of this month. The lifelong volunteer and pioneer in the women's movement was the first woman named the president of the Toronto chapter of Naamat Canada that provides social services to women and children in Israel and Canada. She later served as national president and is currently the organization's oldest active member. Ruth still attends monthly meetings and credits her community work for her long life. She'll be honored later this month in Toronto by the organization, and then later she'll celebrate with a group of seven women to mark their respective birthdays. Like many Zoomers, 68-year-old Teresa Lyles decided to go back to college to finish her degree, and her graduation this month from Tennessee State University was a family affair. Teresa received her degree on the same day as her granddaughter, also a student at the same school. It's been a tough few months on the two when tragedy struck after Teresa's daughter and the girl's mother died earlier this year. The pair leaned on one another, working together on homework and studying for tests. Relatives of a 96-year-old were shocked to discover after her death the senior secretly grew a $9 million fortune during her lifetime. 
Sylvia Bloom lived a frugal life in New York City, riding the subway to work every day for 67 years. The former legal secretary has donated most of her fortune to school scholarships for needy children. Bloom grew her wealth among three brokerage houses and 11 banks. As a secretary, she watched her boss's stock portfolios, and when they made an investment, she would secretly do the same. We know exercise is good for us. A new study confirms that even small amounts of exercise have a huge impact on our happiness. Previous studies concluded that physically active people have a much lower risk of developing depression and anxiety than people who rarely move. But new research takes it a step further and confirms those who work out even once a week for as little as 10 minutes a day are more cheerful than those who never exercise. The research published in the Journal of Happiness Studies at the University of Michigan. I'm Bob Comsick in for Libby's Dimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Today is Mother's Day. It can trigger sadness for many Zoomers who've lost their moms with constant reminders of this special day on social media, TV, and radio that stir up old memories. Bereavement researcher and sociology professor Deborah Carr reminds us that it's okay to be sad, but focus on positive memories because Mother's Day is just one day, but moms stay with us for life. It's difficult, and it's more difficult if the death happened recently. It does get easier with the passage of time, but given the proliferation of things like Facebook, where we see other people's family celebrations in our face, and when we don't have it, it can really be painful. So it is a difficult thing, and you know, people should take a moment really to enjoy fond memories of their moms or aunts or grandmothers and allow themselves to feel a little bit sad because we wouldn't feel sad unless love was really at the base of it, right? We've lost a meaningful relationship and that really was a gift to celebrate. You say it gets easier over time, but how does one get over that? Everybody's a little bit different. And, you know, and one important thing is we never really get over the loss. We will always miss them, but the acute pain does start to fade. And I think one way to help that pain fade is to be able to talk about it, be able to talk about your mom, hear stories about her from her friends, if you have an aunt or uncle who's still alive, sitting around with brothers and sisters and reminiscing about happy memories or funny memories, or even working your way through difficult memories, because all relationships are a little bit fraught. I think talking and processing and celebrating really help. You know, it's important not to feel that one is alone during a dark period. Over time, the tears of of sorrow replaced by tears of joy in recalling the good times and the memories, and then you're able to finish the sentences, and even if you still might have a tear in your eye, you can at least smile. Absolutely. And again, even if that feeling of attachment, you know, is always still there, the the real acute pain and the not being able to finish a sentence and crying if you hear a particular song or even smell a particular smell, right? These memories are very powerful. But with the passage of time, kind of that pain really does diminish. Now, you and other bereavement researchers stress the importance of continuing bonds with deceased moms and deceased loved ones. Yes. 
And I think in the past, you know, years ago, there was the belief that if someone was clinging too much to a deceased person, that it was unhealthy or that it meant you're not getting on with your life appropriately. And a lot of the kind of scholarship and health research on this topic has definitely changed. There's the assumption now that keeping those memories alive can be really healthy. It can help you cope. It can be a conversation piece. And that continuing bonds can happen in whichever way, you know, uh, works best for you. And thinking about how mom might advise you when you've got a problem. Absolutely. I think that's important to remember that our decisions, our choices, um, are very much shaped by our parents and our moms in particular. And so relying on, you know, the thoughts of what mom might do or might advise also can help us to come to good decisions because almost everybody knows deep down that their mom would want what's best for them. And if someone's going through a difficult time, if they're making unhealthy choices, perhaps kind of stepping back and saying, hey, what would my mom say? She would say, knock it off. And if you're not an only child, enjoy time with your siblings. That's a huge one. I have to say, for me personally, that's a huge one, that your siblings really are the people who relate to your mom in ways very similar to you. And one thing I've found that parents want to know that once they leave this planet, that their children will still be close. You know, it would kill them to know that their, you know, children were no longer in contact. So reaching out to siblings, even if they're estranged, trying to um, rebuild that bond. What if you are an only child? That is hard because there's no one to bounce those memories off of. And my friends who are only children who have lost a mom, it's a lot more difficult. Um, What they often do is they grow closer with their surviving dad if they have one. They might turn to an aunt or an uncle or someone so they can get, you know, some tie to their mom. What if a friend has lost their mother Do you broach the subject? Do you wait for them to bring it up? Or do you try to engage them in in conversation about their mother? I would say a little bit of all of the above. That's actually one of the hardest things. What do you do? How do you approach a friend or loved one when they've experienced a loss? And most of us are really bad at it. We're so afraid we're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. I think the most important thing is just to let them know you're here. You know, I'm sorry for your loss, and I'm here if you want to talk about anything, or I'm happy to stay away, you know, and to be a sounding board if you want to reach out to me. And bringing up uh, their late mother is obviously easier over time, as we said right at the start. Absolutely. And even in the near term, I think people are willing to talk, and it's all about reading their signals, right? If you say, you know, I'm so sorry about your mom, and you can tell they instantly clam up, then that may be a moment to change the subject. But sometimes they're honestly just waiting for someone to give them that entree. We're all so afraid to talk about death that sometimes we'll skip past the conversation really quickly when our friend really does want to talk about it but doesn't want to be the downer, doesn't want to make people sad. But if you give people an opportunity, you know, my experience is nine times out of ten, they will talk. Professor Deborah Carr, thanks for your time. Thank you. That was Deborah Carr, sociology professor at Boston University. I'm Bob Comsican for Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, getting a good night's sleep, why it's so hard as we age. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. 
Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. A good night's sleep usually means improved mood for the day ahead, but our sleep patterns can change as we age due to a number of sleep disorders, and less sleep means less time for the body to heal and repair. Cutting-edge research is currently underway at Toronto's Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre, where major breakthroughs are happening. Neurologist Dr. Brian Murray is head of the hospital's sleep lab. It's a myth that you need less sleep as you get older. Most people in adult life need around eight hours, and it's uh, remarkably constant across adult life. Uh, Many of the elderly get less sleep, and that is a uh, consequence of getting sleep disorders, having medications that interfere with sleep, pain that interferes with sleep, etc. Napping counts towards that 24-hour total uh, in a day. So the eight hours includes any time you would have napping. So a two-hour nap in the afternoon uh, means that a six-hour sleep at night is required. What do we know now about sleep as we age that we didn't know before? One of the first things that's occurred in my time has been the discovery of a whole new set of pathways in the brain uh, that help regulate sleep-wake control. So a uh, neuropeptide system called orexin or hypocretin uh, was uh, previously unknown, but it is a major regulator of sleep-wake states and is important in a number of neurodegenerative conditions. A further finding has been a dramatic increase in the understanding of the purpose of sleep. And really, the purpose of sleep is uh, for the brain to optimize function for the next day. And so studies of neuropsychological function and genetics have revealed that connections in the brain are uh, strengthened and weakened in sleep. And this is critically important for learning and skill development. We've also learned just in the last five years of a a remarkable finding that there is a space in the brain called the glymphatic space that we previously were unaware of uh, that opens up in sleep and it's kind of like the uh, trash pickup. It, It clears misfolded proteins and basically cellular debris from your brain in in sleep. So people don't sleep, they don't uh, remove these misfolded proteins that contribute to uh, neurodegeneration in conditions such as Alzheimer's, for example. Now, what is the cost of sleep deprivation? Sleep deprivation has many effects on the brain. Uh, First of all, people who don't get enough sleep are not attentive, so you can't stay awake, you can't form a a memory that impairs uh, mood as well. Uh, That sleep loss contributes to stress on the cardiovascular system and your endocrine system. Lack of sleep will also impair the brain's function to repair and heal, and it will also uh, impair the ability to clear toxic materials and could contribute significantly to uh, neurodegenerative processes. Other uh, sleep-disrupting conditions like uh, the restless leg syndrome can uh, contribute to insomnia and uh, may be associated with other medical disorders such as iron deficiency or B12 deficiency, which have their own medical implications. When given the opportunity, we should all aim for around seven to nine hours of sleep. You can catch up from really quite significant sleep deprivation quickly. Uh, That sleeping in on the weekend is your brain saying, uh, I need that sleep, I, I have to get it. The real question is, 
what was the consequence of missing that sleep over that period of time? You know, perhaps you uh, were less alert. Maybe you would be more prone to have an accident, uh, fall. Maybe that loss of sleep over that period of time contributed in a small way to a cardiovascular stress, to a stress on your uh, blood sugar measurements, uh, this sort of thing. So I, I think that the recovery that occurs can get you back to where you were in terms of your alertness, but there may be kind of an ongoing pressure on on other systems in the body. Doctor, can you give us some tips how to get that good night's sleep? Yeah, I think everybody needs to uh, adopt uh, good sleep habits, like using the bed for the right amount of sleep time to uh, keeping a regular sleep-wake time, avoiding uh, caffeine, not eating uh, too close to bedtime, getting exercise in the morning, avoiding bright light at night, keeping a dark, quiet, comfortable room. So I think those are kind of the standard good sleep habits which, uh, which everybody needs to adopt. Dr. Murray, thank you. Thank you. That was Dr. Brian Murray, Professor of Neurology and Director of the Sleep Lab at Toronto's Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. I'm Bob Komsikin for Libby's Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, a child prodigy who got a start with Motown Records celebrates a birthday today. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook tips for those of you jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. The French May Arts Festivals from Pop Art to Happenings has taken over Hong Kong's Jockey Club, featuring pieces from the Museum of Modern Contemporary Art in Nice. In Washington, D.C., the Burning Man Arts Festival has taken over the Renwick Gallery. Curator Nora Atkinson says, like the festival itself, the art grew out of the post-industrial revolution maker movement. The exhibition traces the festival's counterculture roots. And And in New York, the latest mega exhibit at the Metropolitan Museum of Art's Costume Institute includes precious gems and papal cloaks and vestments with golden embroidery so fine it took 16 years to produce. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. One of the world's most beloved musical artists turned 68 today. Stevie Wonder's career started in the 60s when at just 11 years of age, he auditioned for Barry Gordy of Motown Records. Wonder was signed on the spot and quickly had his first number one hit with Fingertips Part 1. Since then, he's recorded 23 albums, released more than 30 top 10 hits, and received 25 Grammy Awards, the most ever awarded to a male solo artist. Here's one of Stevie Wonder's number one hits from 1970, the title track from his album, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. That was Stevie Wonder with Signed, Sealed, Delivered. He's celebrating his 68th birthday today. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Komsikin for Libby's Nimer, and thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. 
Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.